A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 139 of Confessions of a Marketer, from solopreneur to SAP. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Maggie Fox is in to talk about the early days of building a social media consultancy, working at SAP, and lots more. Coming soon, Mark Schaefer will be in to talk about his book, Marketing Rebellion, along with consumer trends, customer loyalty, and viral marketing. Plus, Catherine Hayes, speaker, advisor, co-host of CMO Spotlight on Sirius XM Business Radio, and author of Beyond Advertising, will be in to discuss advertising. Lots more great discussions in store. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19, or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. All right, on to Maggie Fox, CMO, social entrepreneur, advisor to high-growth companies, and so much more. We had a great discussion that I've divided into two parts. In this first part, we learned Maggie's background, how she ended up at SAP, what it was like founding one of the first social media consultancies, and the advice she gives her clients at those high-growth companies. Let's get to it. Maggie, it's great to have you on Confessions of a Marker. Thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure, although I have to say I'm wondering what I need to confess. <laughs> <laughs> no confession required. It's just the name of the podcast. <laughs> although occasionally we do get confessions. I bet you do. I bet you do. <laughs> so can you share your background and what you're up to these days? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh you know, when you get to a certain age, you think, where do I start? <laughs> I can't start at the beginning. So I'm going to start right. when I when I think things started to get interesting. So in uh, 2006, I founded what was the world's first social media consultancy. That was all that we did. 
And we were really the first ones to do it as a service, period. And so ran that business until about 2013. And, and we worked with really great, wonderful companies like Ford Motor Company, who we took from zero capabilities to winning awards, companies like 3M, SAP, and others. And um, it was a, an exciting time. It was a great time to be doing that kind of work. I think none of us, however, anticipated some of the negative impacts that some of these sure. social media platforms would have in the longer term. But um, it was a really exciting, groundbreaking time. And we got the chance and I got the chance to work with a lot of really talented people and, and companies that were really pushing the envelope. So around 2013, I actually exited that business and was invited to go to SAP, uh, who had been a longtime client, to run digital marketing for them. Unbeknownst to me at the time, about three weeks after I got there, they had a major transformation initiative that the board was uh, putting in place. And they actually nominated my team and myself as the executive in charge to uh, reimagine the customer experience on the digital side, all the pre-sale customer digital touch points, um, which was massive, as you can imagine, a company of 80,000 people, enormous task. 70% of the world's GDP runs through an SAP system, just to give you a sense of the scale. Yeah. And um, it was kind of a fun, it wasn't kind of fun, it was extremely fun. But one of the things that was very interesting is that I was told very early on that it had been tried before and it would not be possible. And uh, lo and behold, three years later, we were actually extremely successful um, and delivered Which is a lot. Un- un- it's unusual because SAP is known for transforming other companies. Correct. And the idea that transforming SAP was seemingly impossible. I feel like it's the the big company factor, right? It's the large yeah. enterprise. You know, you hear the analogy of the, the, you know, steering the tanker, right? That it takes a long time for them to turn. And I think it's true to a certain extent, but I've always have kept in mind something that a, a former boss of mine, actually, Jonathan Becker, uh, would say, and not his quote, but he used to, he was fond of it. And that was that, you know, culture eats strategy. And so what yeah. we really focused on was the culture change that needed to happen in order to get people to do things differently. Like we had like 1500 websites yeah. and my <laughs> team, my, I know it's, it sounds ridiculous, but you can see why, right? A huge company sure. that size yeah. over 10 years, 15 years, everyone's building a little this, building a little that, building a little this. And before you know it, you have this massive dog's breakfast of an infrastructure. What was the spreadsheet like that you created <laughs> to tame that? I can't imagine. I've been involved in mergers where, you know, mm-hmm. companies come in and uh, we absorb, you know, the website and, you know, spreadsheets for merging one website into your website can be massive. I can't imagine what it would be like with 1,500 yeah. websites. We just triaged, right? We said, which ones do we need to kill? Like, which ones are sure. abandoned and forgotten? Which ones, you know, can we have a discussion about and which ones do we need to integrate? And the integration number is actually relatively small. But the challenge was that my team controlled perhaps, I had a big team, about 500 people, but we controlled perhaps 30% of the websites, 30% of the digital experiences right. and, and, bu- and therefore budget. So we had to go around and talk to other executives and line of business heads and say, hey, we need to delete this. You know, we need to move this content elsewhere. We need your team to work a little differently. And that was really 90% of what I ended up spending my time doing as the sort of sponsoring executive. But um, I enjoyed it immensely. I mean, it sounds like a nightmare, (laughs) but I actually, I loved it. I loved being able to achieve that level of change and watch my team learn how to achieve that level of change at scale, right? Right across the business. And, And so much of it was honestly something as simple as assuming the best intentions. You yeah. know, we'd, we'd have these discussions and I think this applies to all change everywhere, no matter what you know line of business you're in. We would have discussions about 
well, you know, so-and-so is trying to kill our project and so-and-so is not cooperating. And, and, you know, we reiterate, I, as the leader, but also the team would reiterate over and over again, you know, you got to assume the best intentions, walk in there figuring they just don't understand, take the time to explain to them. We all have the same objective, which is company success, help them understand how they can contribute. And um, over time, that sort of coming out with fists up behavior really went away. And yeah. the momentum just started to pick up and you saw people, you know, understanding what we were doing. We were really transparent. They were, we were communicating our successes and we finished it. Like the project was successful. I continue to look at that as one of my greatest, uh, despite sure. all the cool social media pioneering stuff we did, <laughs> you know, first customers for Twitter, first customers for Outbrain, a bunch of other things. I actually look at the SAP work because it was just, it seemed so insurmountable when we started. Yeah. I, I really look at that as one of the things I'm most proud of professionally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you should. It's a feather in your cap to tame something that that massive and transform it. Uh, how long did that take? We got started quickly. So I think by early 2014, we were underway. And by 20, early 2016, we were 75% of the way finished. Yeah, yeah. And so that included a complete replatforming, which was done in 30 months. We did that within 30 months, replatformed everything reduced the number of websites by 80%, increased go-to-market content production by 60%, like just a whole, a lot of systems and process and technology, but yeah, about 30 sure. months, 30 months end to end. And it was, and it was done little odds and ends, but done for all intents and purposes. Yeah. 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 I, I want to talk about, you know, your role as a coach and advisor to CEOs, mm -hmm. the CMO CEO relationship. But before I do, you mentioned you started your business in 2006. And I'd like to trace from 2006 to today, about 13 years. Jeez, don't change, say it like that. But the change <laughs> that has happened in social media, mm. it's gone from something that was what, MySpace and a few other platforms yeah. back in 2006. And social media was maybe a term, but it wasn't that common, mm -hmm. to something a couple of years later, Facebook kind of uh, really comes on the scene. And then you get Twitter and, you know, LinkedIn becomes popular. And, and now we've got, I don't know how many platforms you have to contend with. Yeah. But I'm interested in how your advice to companies has evolved over the years and how, you know, and you mentioned the complicated nature of some social media that has cropped up recently, mm. how that impacts when you advise a CEO, a CMO, or someone else about social media and how that has mm -hmm. evolved in, in the 13 years since you started your business. Yeah, it's amazing when you say it like that, 13 years, my gosh. It's hard to believe it's been that long. I'll give you some context for when we first started. When I first started the company as a solopreneur, you know, me and a blog, and it, we grew quickly. But in the early days, you know, I was able to read and write, like read about and do analysis, write a blog post, have an opinion on everything, every single thing that happened in social media within a week. Perhaps yeah. there would be four or five new developments. You know, right. McDonald's would launch a blog. You know, the yeah. beast of new software, blah, blah, blah. So to give you a sense of that, that I would have a Google alert and I could read every reference to the term social media in a matter of minutes. Yeah. So that gives you a sense of the scale change. And in terms of the role, I mean, the early days were very much convincing, right? We, of course, we had leading companies coming to us who got it. 
who wanted to, to push things forward. But a lot of the time, once you got in there, you know, you're spending a lot of time explaining to people why this is actually not going to go anywhere. It's not like CB radio, you know, it's, it, yeah. I want to date myself. It's something that's, that's going to transform the way we talk to each other and uh, talk to, you know, entities. And so we did a lot, I had to do a lot of convincing, a lot of yeah. data, a lot of numbers, a lot of context setting uh, for the volume of people, you know, looking at the Pew internet research reports every few months to see the, you know, the increasing numbers of people in different uh, demographic groups using these platforms. So that of course is no longer the case. You know, we, we all, we all get it. And myself now, since leaving SAP as a, a you know, I've been a CMO twice since then, a two-time CMO, you know, what I see when I'm inside the marketing organization is a perfectly clear understanding that it's a part of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've yet to walk into a marketing organization where somebody, you know, is not uh, working social media. And usually, obviously, there are teams um, and it's pretty well integrated. But I can honestly say from that, that inside out perspective, I can't see that it's being used as strategically in the majority of organizations as it could be. It's still very much a bit of an add-on. I don't necessarily see companies, and there are those that do, but you know, the ones that I've had experience with them, you know, in the intervening years, I think there's still a lot more strategic use to be put to. And an example I'll give is a conversation with a CEO I had not too long ago, where you know his advice to the team was to hire a college student to run social media channels just to get more content out there. Right. <laughs> I was like you really want to leave your communication strategy in the hands of someone who's been out of school for a couple of years. This is someone who probably asks a teenager to help them program their VCR, which they probably (laughs) still have, right? Exactly, their VCR. Wow, we are just like, we are just a rolling list of obsolete technology on this podcast (laughs) today. (laughs) You know, obviously it's everywhere. It's like air, which is something Charlene Lee, you know, one of of the very early, really, really uh, wonderful thinkers around social media would talk about is that it it will one day be like air. And it has, that has happened. But I still don't necessarily see it being used as strategically as it could be. And it, and that could just be a matter of time, right? That, that people who grew up with these tools and technologies and sort of know them like, you know, know them like their own breath, they're still fairly young. They're not necessarily, I think I'm an exception to a certain extent, you know, being a CMO with that level of, of background. You don't typically see a CMO who is a super digital native at this point. Right. Not, not quite, right? Because many of them are in their 40s, 50s. So maybe that's just a matter of time where that directive would come from above. But when I advise folks now as, as an advisor and a, and a coach to, to high growth companies, you know, a lot of the time it's like, let's be careful and be mindful, you know, that if, if you want to go promoting your company, let's be sure we're thinking about all the strategic angles around why that might be a good thing or a bad thing. Because I, I work a lot of the time with startups. So letting your competition know that you're, you've become quite successful sometimes cannot always be a good thing. Because you may just be signaling to the market that there's a reason to invest, which could put your competitors in a better situation. So interestingly, a lot of the time, especially with high growth companies, the conversation is more around what not to do than what to do for very strategic reasons that are unique to to sort of that high growth space. Yeah. I want to talk about that. So as a coach or advisor to CEOs, what are those challenges that you have to say yes or no to and, and help them solve? So I'll set a little context around the kinds of folks that I work with. So the typical scenario is, you know, a million dollars or more in monthly recurring revenue. So typically SaaS companies, software as a service companies, right. apps, et cetera, all digital. So 
typically, you know, you'll see them in the one to two million monthly recurring revenue range. Uh, they're growing at between 400 and 1,000 percent a year. They have institutional investors on board, so sophisticated investors who will apply pressure and will take board seats. Right. And um, the founder is often someone in their late 20s or early 30s who perhaps has never worked anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So they are now hanging on to a rocket ship. They're hiring a 45-year-old CFO that they now have to manage, you know, and other senior executives with many years more experience. And they now have to figure out how to hang on to that rocket ship and scale with their business. And it's a lot about leadership. We talk a lot about leadership and what it is to be a good boss and what it looks like and feels like to be a bad boss and to understand how to manage people and how to be a good leader and how to set expectations and I can honestly say one of our biggest topics is focus, right? Yeah. What, is, what is the thing or the two things, maybe three things that you're focused on and how do you stick to it and how do you communicate it to the organization and how do you keep everybody on track? And boy, that is, that is not some skill that you're born with, right? It's, and often a founder is someone who, you know, daydreamed to come up with the idea and getting rid of that habit and focusing on the one at hand can be a real challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, absolutely. And that's the beauty and the threat at the same time, because they, you may legitimately have started something. And and then, you know, a few years later, you kind of have this aha moment And you realize there's this adjacent opportunity, which is enormous. And a lot of the time, it's it's quite interesting with this group of, you know, this cohort of people, you know, they're under a lot of pressure to have these really exponential growth rates, right? And a growth rate of, you know, that a company, sort of a a legacy, quotey fingers, you know, a company that's 10 or 15 years old might be quite happy to have a 20 or 25% year year over year growth. Like that's, that's pretty healthy. Yep. When you're in the you know ten to twenty million dollars a year range, unacceptable, way too low, right? That is yeah, that is yeah. organic growth, and you need exponential growth. You need a thousand percent, you know, two thousand percent. Well, that's that's a lot, but you know, and so they they do often have to be in this headspace of where does the growth come from, right? Yeah. So there is this fundamental tension between okay, you know, I've, I've got to stay focused and we can't be chasing everything, right? Because we'll never get anything done. But at the same time, there is this adjacent opportunity that opens a market that was, you know, we're in a hundred million dollar market and now this is a billion or $10 billion market. You know, you've got to be able to, to figure that out. Like, is it true, right? Is that something you need to pursue? And how far do you go down that path? So yeah. it's, it is, there is this fundamental tension where you're right, they have this innate skill that got them there in the first place, but it can be a bit of a threat because if you start chasing every little shiny object, you're finished. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, I, I mean, I love it. I love working yeah, yeah. with this. And that's the pivot, people. right? We've talked about the pivot on this podcast mm-hmm. and on, on other podcasts that I'm involved in. And, and the pivot is is often something that comes after you've done some work on on the initial idea and then you you see the 10 billion dollar market rather than yeah. the 100 million dollar market. Mhm. Yeah. You hope, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then and then it's all execution, which is focus. Yeah. Right? right, which yeah. is that okay, fine, you're you're going to make a pivot is and the conversations we have are it's okay to change objectives, right? It's okay to change priorities, but it needs to be done in a mindful way. You need to sit down and say, I'm changing my priorities. 
Um, yeah. It can't just be what, you know, add one, take one away, add one, take one away. And that's, that's the discipline part of it, which is like not super sexy, frankly, but it is it, that single mindedness needs to become a skill, right? It is a skill that is required. All right. Next time, Maggie is back and we get into the CEO-CMO relationship. So stay tuned. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time.